0: Hi, everyone. I'm Anita Lustria, and for many years I did live radio. Then I transitioned to the podcast world where I feel I found my home. I love talking about spiritual formation, justice issues, and spiritual practices. Throw in the Enneagram, movies, and current events from time to time, and that's what you get on the podcast. I'm glad you've come along for the ride. Welcome to Faith Conversations. Welcome to Faith Conversations, everyone. I am delighted to have uh, a friend back on the podcast. You know, you always say old friend, but Carolyn Custis James, you're not old, (laughs) but you are a friend, and we've been friends for a long time. Um, Carolyn is an award-winning author. Um, She speaks all over the places, uh, uh, churches, colleges, seminaries. Christian organizations, um, both here in the United States and internationally. She's an adjunct professor at Missio Seminary in Philadelphia, and um, I'll probably ask her um, about that and about some other things as well. But we are going to be talking about her book, Maelstrom. Many years ago, when I hosted Midday Connection, we talked about this book, but this is a re-release. And I also noticed there's a new subtitle. So we're, we're going to talk about all things um, Carolyn Custis James. But first, let me welcome her back to Faith Conversations. Carolyn, so good to have you back.
1: It's, it's great to be back. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, you know, The friendship never stops. So right. They, that's right. It's a treasure to me.
0: <laughs> well, and me too. I think of my days many years ago, um, you know, doing a, a daily talk show. And when your work came into view for me, um, was I think after you had written, maybe it was my old literature professor at Moody recommended when life and beliefs collide, which it's so funny. Um, My husband's rumblings this week, I wrote a haiku and I used the the term when life and beliefs collide and he used it in the rumblings years ago and brought it back out this week on the rumblings because I think that is a great title and a great phrase. And I think there are a lot of us that um life and beliefs have indeed collided and that's some of what we're going to talk about today yeah. but that's how you first came into my view and so I, I'm reading this book and I'm thinking oh, I have to talk to this woman I have to t- I have to get to know Carolyn Custis James and then of course I'm thinking of the conference that you did for
1: years synergy synergy, synergy yeah
0: and connecting with all kinds of phenomenal women at that conference and and then what was your book after uh, When Life and Beliefs Collide? What was the next one?
1: Last Swim in at the Bible. Oh,
0: yes. And we did a whole series uh, on the radio show back then. Um, it, oh, that was, wow. That does feel like long ago and far away, doesn't it? A lot of water under yes. and over the yes. bridge <laughs> between then and now. Um But one of the things that you you helped me put language to a shifting view that I was having about uh, the role of women. Um, And and I was working in a place that had a distinct view and still does that I didn't line up with. And so I have a freedom now, certainly, that I can lean into my view, egalitarian view. Um, uh, And as I've said, probably, I assume I've said it here on the podcast. I think I have. And my husband knows this well. I could never go back. And I, I could not attend a church that didn't allow women in leadership, um, and women in pastoral roles and et cetera. So, um, that's where I am today, but some of your writing really helped me, uh, find my way and, um, and solidify some of my views. I know you have taken heat over the years. You probably still do, uh, say a word about that.
1: Well, I, you know, when I started writing, um, well, even backing up from that, I always felt left out of the gender debate because, you know, after college I had 10 years single. So I wasn't married. I wasn't a mother. And I was in a church where, um, you know, there were some really strong women and one wonderful teacher that has impacted me, um, but women weren't weren't under the label pastor, and um, they weren't being ordained, and it just you know I always thought I'd get I never was interested in that you know it just was it was off limits, and so I never even asked the question. Um, women weren't in the one seminary my father would approve. And so, you know, I, cause I used to say, well, I would go straight to seminary after college if I were the fourth brother instead of the one sister. But um, so when I, you know, when I would read books about women, I always felt like the punchline at the end of the book, which would be taking a side on the debate that they weren't talking to me.
0: Uh. Yeah. And I,
1: and then I started realizing how many women feel outside of this conversation, you know, they've lost their husband one way or another. Um, you know, they're in the workplace, they don't have kids or they have too many (laughs) or they, you know, it's just all, or they're too just thinking
0: or they're just thinkers. Right. You know? So, Yeah.
1: yeah. So I just, I just thought, and I didn't, I didn't like what was being written for women. And I actually in college went to a women's brunch that just horrified me. (laughs) Because in my church, you know, it was a Bible church and we were all taught the same thing. It didn't matter if you were a a guy or a girl. Mm -hmm. We got the same, we got the same teaching and I couldn't take the flow. (laughs) So I, you know, that was kind of in my craw when I started Um, having opportunities to speak with women to just say we we need to know God for ourselves. You know, when the bottom drops out of your life or when life and beliefs collide, you you're not going to turn to your pastor's theology and you're not going to turn to your husband or your dad's theology, you'll turn to whatever it is you believe, whether it's, you know, a little or a lot, or if it's true or false. And
0: well, and I loved, uh, I loved reading and might've even been your first book where you said, I am a theologian. We all are theologians, women, you are theologians, but what do you believe? What is your theology?
1: Yeah. Well, I think that's our first calling, you know, that when God called, when God created human beings, to be his image bearers that is a calling to theology because we are supposed to reflect God's heart and how do we do that if we don't know him if we don't work I mean nobody knows him fully or totally accurately but but that's our first job and that's what we live out and um, you know in that first book I made a case that the first great New Testament theologian was a woman and the person who most benefited from her theology and the ministry that came out of it was Jesus, (laughs) you know, and he said, she's done a beautiful thing to me. Yeah. Nobody else was standing with him. So, you know, I, I was totally convinced when I finished that book that God means for women to be good theologians, and we all need to work on it. And it's not an academic calling. It's a human calling.
0: I love that. Thank you for saying that again. I think we need to hear that. And um, and I love it because you go on to say uh, in further books, not to mention the one we're going to talk about today, it's a human calling, right? It's for men and women. Yes. <laughs> so, yes. so let's, I want to get into talking about Maelstrom because, you know, I'm reading, getting emails from publishers as I do. And all of a sudden I see Carolyn Custis James name come up and a re-release of your book Maelstrom. Then I notice that the, that the new forward is written by Kristen Cobus Dumay. Now, if you're a longtime podcast listener, then you recognize that name because she's been here on the podcast talking about her book, Jesus and John Wayne. Uh, and I thought, well, this will bring a new little twist, and I wonder how <laughs> Carolyn has updated and changed this book or what has happened. So so tell me um, tell me what happened when you, you know, start, read, read Jesus and John Wayne and what got you thinking that, maelstrom uh maybe needs to be revisited this excellent book yeah
1: yeah well i i was already you know up to my eyeballs in the the me too church to right pandemic yes, and yes. you know and it um and what people have been saying about maelstrom is that it was ahead of its time because it was published in 2015 yep um and so here's what happened when I read Jesus and John Wayne I contacted her (laughs) because her book um doesn't move into okay so if we've got all of this sexual and uh power and verbal and spiritual and financial abuse going on in the church. Um, Something's really wrong. And, and what, and where do we go from here? So when I, when I finished reading her book um, and, and I think everybody should read that book. Um, She's a, she's a great historian. She's taken a lot of, flack for what she's done but she's standing her ground and there are a lot of us standing with her um but anyway i when i read her book i i contacted her and i said you know i would love to send you a copy of maelstrom because when you finish reading jesus and john wayne you're asking okay what do we do what's wrong you know what what what's the problem here and how do we, how do we move forward? Right. And she wrote back and, and said, I've already read Maelstrom. And she had also read another book uh, that Nate Pastor Nate Pyle wrote, called "Man Enough," which is it's about Jesus. You know, it's, it's a it's a great book. I've endorsed that book. And she said she was going to include a chapter in Jesus and John Wayne that drew on these two books. Wow! You know, so I'm falling on the floor. <laughs> <here Yes. laughs> when I hear that, but you know, I I okay so I sat on that for a little while and then I contacted my publisher and I said can we come out in a soft cover of Maelstrom and you know nothing needed to be changed about the inside of the book I mean I talk about ISIS now we have Taliban you know we talk about wars well you know we've got a terrible war in front of us and it's not the only one going on right now um but Anyway, I said I'm going to ask her if she would write the forward, and she agreed. And she's written a wonderful forward to connect the dots, absolutely. Because she wanted to do that too. And um, so I, the only the new parts to it are the front end and the back end to connect it to the to the crisis going on right now.
0: So am I am I right? Is it a new subtitle? Because I realize now I don't have the old book in front of me. I yes. just have the new one. So what, what was the old subtitle if you have it handy and then give us the new one?
1: Yeah, the old subtitle was um, manhood swept into the currents of a changing world.
0: OK, all right. Now, the new subtitle is a little punchier.
1: Yeah, <laughs> go, ahead, go ahead
0: and give us that one.
1: <laughs> it's how Jesus dismantles patriarchy. And redefines manhood, and that's what the book did in the first place. Yes, and you know, people like I said, people are saying this book was ahead of its time. And totally
0: agree. Totally agree yeah. with that. And I hadn't so, really thought about it, but yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So you know, it's an important discussion. It needs to keep going. And, um, and there's resistance to that, you know, I mean, it's just easier to sort of learn all the ways of addressing abuse allegations when they come up and to report to the to law enforcement and bring in a, a professional counselor and, you know, don't shame the one making allegations you, you don't know enough to, to do that and, you know, stop protecting. people who face these allegations. And um, what I'm interested in, and I'm still interested in, um, and I think we learned this from COVID, but Maelstrom was already dealing with it, is that you cannot stop a pandemic until you've addressed the virus. And why is it happening? Oh, there you go.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: and Maelstrom starts that. There's a lot more work that needs to be done. That's my next book is going to dive into how is it that the that the church can be an environment that is that is conducive to abuse. Uh. And you know, what I what it opens your eyes to is that when you read the Bible, it's packed. With Me Too stories. Mm, right. And we do the same thing to those women that we've done to those raising allegations today. And, know, and we to actually say, saw it
0: in your book, uh, Lost Women of the Bible, too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I yeah. hadn't even thought about it. You're right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: What was she wearing? And yeah. she did. She She was the temptress. And, yeah. you know, he was so repentant. And, you know, <laughs> you know and so we, or else we just, look past it we look right past it i mean look at hagar's story yeah you know if if you looked at her story in light of me too that we don't there's no sympathy for her in how we look at her Mm. and i didn't even say enough in lost women of the bible but i'm you know i'm moving into that in this next project because Mm. some of the things we teach men and women and boys and girls in the church set us up for this kind of a abuse. It doesn't always happen. Thank God. They're, I mean, one of the things that happens to me in my speaking engagements is I run into the most incredible Christian men. They just, they give me hope and you know, yeah. they're the antithesis of all of that. And there are a lot of them. Nice. So, um, yeah. Is this an, and Maelstrom, Maelstrom is not anti-men.
0: Right. It's it good yeah. to say that early on here, because absolutely. Um,
1: it's not. What's the, you know, <laughs> we see the word and
0: and what does Maelstrom mean even? What does that word mean and why did you choose that as the title?
1: Yeah. I, you know, Maelstrom is uh, named after the Maelstrom, those so swirling storms in the in the ocean that you know are they're part of. Um, you know, lore. Yeah, yeah. I'm and, thinking those horrible ima-
0: nor'easters and all of that. Yeah. Just, yeah.
1: But they, but they, you know, are known to drag a a fishing boat down into the depths of yeah. you know, you just don't want to get near it anyway. They're big and they're strong. And um and I use it as a metaphor for patriarchy. And um you know when I started to write maelstrom, what had happened to me in writing the books that I wrote earlier was that the, the women in the Bible whose stories I was exploring and, and unpacking in, um, in ways that they had, had not been pack, unpacked for a general audience. And um, there were men in those stories who would either be overlooked because they didn't fit the David and Goliath, Joshua and Jericho, David uh, Daniel and the lions <laughs> didn't fit that kind of image of mm-hmm. masculinity. They embodied something so different, mm-hmm. so countercultural, and 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 strong. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's not. This is not about. This is about male power and privilege being redeemed and and used for purposes that advance god's kingdom and you know power and privilege was was bestowed on humanity at creation when god commissioned male and female to rule and subdue creation not each other right And after they sinned, the first thing that happens is that you have a brother killing a brother. And, you know, the book of Genesis, you could call it warring brothers, because in every generation, there's a battle going on, and it's a battle over inheritance and and primacy in the family. Primogeniture Mm. is, is the linchpin of of patriarchy in the Bible. And it means the firstborn gets double of what his brothers get in terms of inheritance. So you have three sons, you divide your inheritance four ways and the firstborn gets half. (laughs) And the other, and the other two get a fourth. Okay. So, but all the way through the Bible, Jesus is choosing son number two, yeah. He chooses Abel, not Cain. He chooses Jacob not Esau, Isaac, not Ishmael. When it comes to Jacob's sons, it's an all-out war mm. because Jacob chooses number eleven, right? Number eleven. Right. And God chooses number four, you know. So it's not God isn't playing by patriarchy's rules, mm. but how did you that know, get
0: overlooked though how did How did that get missed? Yeah. Because, you know, hearing you talk about it, this all seems so obvious.
1: <laughs> it is. You know, I think one of the wonderful things that's happening, and it was recognized, and I had a quote in Lost Women of the Bible, my second book, but but the, I think it was, I'm trying to think, it was the Times Magazine. Huh. Um, one of the main magazines ran an issue that focused on women who were in seminary, uh. And that now you have a female pair of eyes on the, on the biblical text and, um, and we ask different questions, yes, you know, or we look at it from a different point of view, you know, as a woman yes. looking at Hagar, you know, that's sex trafficking. She's yeah. a slave. And then she finds out that it's not just about serving her mistress, but now it's about Producing offspring for her master,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, and we don't name that. Yeah. So, you know, but, but this is what's happening. There are lots of things in the Bible that women see that a man wouldn't see. One of the first examples I got of this was when I heard a deaf man preach on Jesus healing a deaf man and he went through it. And of course he's signing and somebody's and, you know, speaking it for him. And he showed how Jesus was signing for that man, Mm. takes him away from the crowd, puts his fingers in his ear. He touches the man's tongue. Mm. He looks up to heaven and he takes a deep sigh. Mm. And the man said, Jesus, was signing. I mean, mm. he, I never saw that. Mm. And it just made me realize we need more eyes on the biblical text. Yes. So and good. yeah. So, good. so it's, you know, it's really important. And um and
0: quite a question in the middle of this. So um I see how things have gone one particular way as far as the church goes and i'll say the evangelical church you know let's just say that um but but i also feel like um the broader society has had great influence inside the church not vice versa um when it comes to patriarchy and when I think about, and when I even think politically, you know, the last presidency and what transpired, well, and with Kristen Cobus Dume, Jesus and John Wayne. I mean, she goes back historically. I mean, I feel like just the whole culture, this is not just within the church no. that, that this is happening.
1: And it, it enters humanity, <laughs> yeah. you know, when they, the first yeah. sin, yes. you know, instead of this we're called to rule yeah. and we're called to subdue. That means there's going to be opposition. I guess, in, you know, gen- but, but yeah. the rule after they sin yeah. gets turned on to each other and not just men over not just men over women, but men over other men. Uh,
0: Okay, there we go. Yeah. So, and that's
1: been the, that's the history of the world. It's the the narrative of the Bible, which is why the stories I'm telling are in Maelstrom are examples of where the gospel penetrates how men and women interact and how they work together. So it's... um, and I, I think, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I think their stories that are breathtaking. I love the men that are in this book. And,
0: and I'm going to um, ask you a, a little bit about that in a second. I think what I was thinking is, I, I sort of felt like there was a, a a shift that happened at some point, like things were starting to move away from, from patriarchy. But I think it was really I think, um, that was not true, but I felt like there, then there was this shift where things doubled down and got worse. I, I mean, am, am I reading that right? I feel like things shifted culturally at some point. Um, but maybe they've, they've just stayed right in this lane and maybe it was just little blips of hope <laughs> on, the, on the horizon.
1: Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I think we've, um, not put enough weight on Genesis one and two. Okay. And that to me is the, is the overarching. Yeah. That's the vision that God had in the beginning. That's what Jesus came to restore. And that's where, you know, God has never given up on that vision. And we sort of look at, you know, Genesis one and two is how God's setting up the chairs (laughs) and the scene, you know, for the real story that's, but that's That's his vision and we've used it to argue about evolution and we've used it to argue about who got created first and who was second um you know which i said all through genesis that gets dismantled and you have the birth of patriarchy in chapter three and that's where now the man is going to rule over Over the the woman woman. and that the creation of the woman is a in Genesis 2 is a huge moment that's been downplayed, but she's brought in, you know, this is a reinforcement of Genesis 1, where God is saying, the woman I create is what the man needs to be all that God wants him to be, but she is to join him in the battle. She's not
0: partner with she's not gonna, she's that, not gonna yeah.
1: feed him he can feed himself <laughs> yes. you know in and you yes. know it's sort of it's been trivialized I always felt left out of that because mm. I was single but that's the creation of the female and I know little girls who are on fire for Jesus because they know they're azers <laughs> and it you know it's so I think we need to to plant our feet in Genesis one yeah. and two, and, and Genesis
0: he, three was what so much of the church all of a sudden took as a mandate instead of.
1: Well, they you know, back the, it into Genesis yeah. one, and they say who got created first. Mm. Well, you know, mm. it's it the Genesis doesn't. God doesn't care who was born yeah. first there in Genesis, yeah. and you know, he just he he sometimes in the in the Bible he works mostly through women. He does that in the book of Ruth and um, in the book of Esther. And he does that in the gospels with the women. And, you know, it's, and, you know, he's, he reorients Paul yeah. on a, on a strategic uh, journey and sends him to Philippi. And I think, I think it is absolutely hilarious that he can't, he finds is a group of women (laughs) and in philippians he writes i i thank my god every time i think of you for your partnership in the gospel from the first day Mm. until now and a lot of scholars don't see that but the first day it was women it was a band of azers and this single man needed them and they stayed with him in his, in his, you know, travels and imprisonments, you know, he, they would send a Philippian would be there in the jail with, you know, bringing him supplies and, wow. you know, support and, you know, so it's, yeah, I think it kind of opens our eyes. Yeah. And, you know, when you, when you read the biblical narrative, the Azer warrior recedes in the story And it becomes a male story, but there are all these moments in the Bible where a woman sets foot out on the pages of scripture and God works through her. Mm. And, you know, when you think of Middle Eastern cultures like Afghanistan, you know, they'd tell you that was a big deal.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, what are a couple of your favorite stories in Maelstrom? men that you highlight and and why.
1: I love Judah. Ah, Jacob's right. Jacob's son number four. And it's it's Genesis 38. And a lot of pastors, if they're teaching through Genesis, will leap over that chapter because the word prostitute shows up. And that word defines how we interpret that chapter. But Tamar is one of the strongest Azer warriors (laughs) that we have in the Bible, and she risks her life to stand up to Judah because his sons, when a son dies, it's the, the widow's responsibility to marry the brother and the son born to their union takes the dead man's place on the family tree. It's a call to sacrifice. Okay, I said before, if you have three sons, you divide your estate four ways. Well, he had three sons, but he lost one, and so he divided his estate three ways. And so, son number two goes from a fourth of his inherit of his father's estate to two thirds. Okay, and if he produces a son, he's going back to one fourth. Uh, so he's not going to do that and judah thinks she's the problem and so she she poses as a prostitute and um and he takes the bait and she gets pregnant from judah and when he finds out she's pregnant he's gonna kill her he orders her to be burned and he's done this he's been guilty of that crime and a few others before (laughs) that you know nearly murdering his brother joseph but trafficking him as a slave right and then you know covering up the crime and now he's gonna have her killed so he can get rid of her and when she shows his items that he left with her before as a down payment right uh, for her services she he realizes he's the man and the interpretation of translators is that she is more righteous than i that's what they think judah says but he doesn't he says she is righteous i am not mm. And that is the turning point in the Joseph story, because here's the man who was gonna kill Joseph. And now he's taking Joseph's full brother, Benjamin to stand before Pharaoh and get famine supplies because that's where they have food. And Joseph is gonna take Benjamin as a slave and the speech that judah delivers to joseph the brother he doesn't recognize who was planning to kill till to, to yeah. kill benjamin judah sacrifices himself he says i'll be the slave but my father will die if I, if Benjamin doesn't come back with me. But it is one of the most powerful speeches in the Bible. And it's what turns, that's the moment the tide turns with Joseph. Because mm-hmm. up to that point, he's sort of being <laughs> abusive, you know, vindictive in how he treats his brothers. And it's, and it's, it's gospel. Mm. You know, it's an mm. utter transformation of him. And so I love him. I love Boaz.
0: And you know? now hold on before we go to Boaz. <laughs> let, let me say this, because I, I'm stuck in the translation. <laughs> I'm stuck in the translation being wrong. So I, this, you know, and probably some of this stuff sticks in my craw because of how I grew up as well. And, yeah. and um, you know, if you don't have... Uh, this goes back to also not having women involved in translation work too. Uh, I, I though, or or is there something to be gained by translating things certain ways? I guess sometimes I think about that and wonder.
1: Well, you know, if you translations involve interpretation, y- yes, and you look at that story, and when they see the word prostitute. You know, she's toast because that's going to define the story. This woman became a prostitute and she, in I mean, in, in our day, if somebody did what Tamar did, mm-hmm, right? you know, we would not approve of that mm-hmm. in her culture, what she's doing. And actually, you know, she's trying to rescue her dead husband to restore that empty branch of the family tree.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And what happens is she's lost two husbands, God blesses her with twin sons. Mm-hmm. So she re- she replaces both sons. And, you know, God's blessing is on her and when you read the book of Ruth, her name is invoked in a blessing on Ruth and Boaz, you know, is she's not a skeleton in the closet. But I you know, I think in fairness to translators when they saw the word prostitute and then they saw the word righteous yes they had to sort of maneuver it so that it was you know and you know judah wasn't righteous <laughs> you know it's just yeah. and so you know, so
0: it was so the the choice was um, that she is
1: Righteous and I'm right, not, you know,
0: more righteous than me, as opposed to right. I, she is righteous, I am not. Yeah. It, that, and yeah.
1: the ones that have been correcting this, by the way, are are male scholars. <laughs> I learned this from a man and I, right. sat in, I sat in a class on the book of Ruth and on um, Genesis with him and it just blew me away. I mean, a lot of my work came out of that. And it just opens your eyes to say, wait a minute, let's, let's look again at this and see. You know, like one of the stories I take up in, in Maelstrom is Barak and Deborah and Jail. And, you know, they've, they, when we look at, at narratives in the Bible where a woman appears, it's either about romance or it's about s- sexual misconduct. Um, Or it's about women doing something because the men are falling down on the job. And that happens when we look at Deborah's story. Mm -hmm. You know, the reason she's doing that is because the men are wimps. Barak is not a wimp. And the story is about God. It's not about gender. It's about God. And Barak doesn't want to take his little band of volunteer soldiers in to fight the biggest army alive at that Mm -hmm. time and he wants to be sure that God is in the battle Mm -hmm. and God you know tells him if if I want I can win this battle with a woman Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know it's sort of Mm -hmm. like yes he's in it and he's going to show you how he's in it because you know she jail kills she kills the Putin (laughs) of of that day, you know? So sorry for that.
0: Oh, that's great. I love it. Um, I I don't want us to, to finish our time without, um, having you talk about your, what you wrote at the end of the book, a concluding unrepentant postscript was that new? Yes. I thought so. I just, yeah. Um, what what is what are you saying in this unrepentant postscript which i love the name of that <laughs>
1: yeah i you know we've got a problem in the american church in all forms of the american church and you know we can spend our time cleaning it up. And I am, you know, I've, behind me, I've got a bank of books that have been written since Me Too and Church Two happened. But we learned from COVID that you can't stop the sickness by just using ventilators and ICU units. You have you have to find out what is the virus and how do we kill it at the viral level? And I think, you know, that this book is really important because it, you know, the the church's message for men and boys leads them up to this point where they are proving that they're in charge, that they're proving that they have power, that they're proving that they, you know, have power over women. Women are supposed to submit to them. And the majority of men probably don't abuse that. But there are leaders, leaders who abuse that and leaders who cover it up. Where a man's reputation or an organization's orga- orga- uh, reputation is, mo- is the most important thing. And we have in our church pews, men and women who have been abused as children. And they hear it when a sermon gets preached where it's a me too story. And we fawn on the man who perpetrated the crime. And we just, we blame, we blame the victim or we brush her aside. And I, th- I think we have important work to do that COVID taught us that we have to find out what are the roots that lead us to this and I think one of them is is the kinder gentler patriarchy that gets promoted in the church Jesus did not come to give us a kinder gentler patriarchy he said my (laughs) my kingdom is not of this world and his conduct and his teaching If you just sat and read the Gospels and you really paid attention to what Jesus is doing and saying, it's a rebuke to us,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: you know, it's and he's not calling for moderate adjustments or changes in our moral behavior so that we tidy things up. His gospel is radical and it calls for radical changes in men. It does not make them wimps. It makes them strong in a way that blesses. You know, I look, at, I look at a man like Boaz and Boaz is introduced as a powerful man. He didn't shed his male power and privilege. He's a powerhouse when he goes to bat for Naomi's rights in the, in the government of Bethlehem. He uses his power and privilege to empower Ruth and, and for, for Naomi's good, Mm. you know, it's power is a, is a, is a trust. Mm. It's a gift.
0: And, and what a more beautiful message than we're going to flip things around and now it's going to be women holding the power. What a more beautiful message yeah. yeah. Than, because I think that's the, the big fear. Uh, I think, you know, well, but
1: yeah. it is, and it, and it comes, ac- it comes across like that, you know, it's sort of like, well, I want to be, <laughs> you know, and, and I get that, you know, that there are women with gifts that are being, um, they're not being used in the church. And, you know, for me, I've been married to a seminary professor and a seminary, he was a seminary student at first and then a professor and then a president of a seminary. And, you know, I saw women come to seminary and I was one myself and, you know, that they couldn't, they couldn't get jobs or if they got jobs they thought they were going to be you know treated with respect and given and they get and they get mistreated even in even even in egalitarian churches we know that i get phone calls from ordained women who say
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know i they leave me out of conversations mm-hmm. and they make decisions about my area of responsibility without me or they go golfing and i you know I don't hear, anyway, it's, I hear, I get, I get calls Mm. from egalitarians. And I think that, you know, a lot of times for leaders becoming an egalitarian organization means you've checked the box. Mm. So now we ordain women, but it doesn't change how they think. It doesn't Mm. change how they work. The Mm. same thing happens when you bring someone from another ethnicity ethnic group to the table, but you don't, you don't Check hear the box, them, but you, you don't, don't
0: really listen. Yeah. Yeah. So I, okay.
1: you know, it doesn't well, I, always happen, but I think, you know, it's, Jesus is calling us to something radical. He's calling us to, to be a body, to enter, be interdependent on one another, to, to not be able to, to flourish without the full, investment of the gifts of others and what I saw was I saw women who couldn't were you know in classes and they were being abused by their fellow students or they couldn't do you know reminded about what they Mm -hmm. couldn't do and they would get jobs and they would get kicked to the curb or something Mm -hmm. and what I saw at first really grieved me and then I saw that women were moving out Mm -hmm. and I see more of that all the time you're doing it Mm -hmm. you know you're you're not the pastor of a church, but you pastor and we need your pastoring and you pastor differently than a man would pastor. Um, And I see women, you know, moving out, they're writing books, they're doing, I got pushed out, you know, I'm, but I'm not silent and I'm, you know, I, I interact with male pastors and It's, it's been amazing. I've been sitting here at, in my office all during COVID and I've been all over the world with, with, you know, webinars and podcasts and, you know, next, next week I go to Vietnam and France. Wow.
0: Yeah. It's amazing. But it
1: is, it is. And I think, okay, God is, he's going to use his daughters and he is using his daughters.
0: Yes. I think this is so encouraging. And and I just want to say to people, I think, you know, uh, Maelstrom is just a wonderful follow-up to Jesus and John Wayne. If you've been there and and thought, where do I go from here? Well, Maelstrom is it. And of course I'm going to, Link information in the show notes and information to Carolyn's website, um, etc. We'll have all that in the show notes. Carolyn, uh, carry on. Keep (laughs) keep doing what you're doing, and I so appreciate you. You have really uh, shifted things um, for so many women. I think first, you know, in our minds, and and then um, beyond that, then in our actions and I, I, I am certainly one of those and so i am deeply grateful for what you've done and for what you've written and um all that you've been about over the years thank you so much you're
1: welcome you're an encouragement to me i'm mm. so grateful for your friendship and support
0: well, I am um, so glad you re-released Maelstrom. I think the additions are make it even stronger. And folks, I, I highly commend it um, to you. And as always, um, I say, keep the conversation going.